0: From Mesh AI. This is the Data and AI podcast. It's episode one. I'm Rid Lewis, and joining me today at Deepak Vensi and DBS. How's it going, gents? Good morning, all, and glad to be on the show with you, Rid.
1: Hey, Rid. Thanks for having us. Okay, DBS, what's coming up on today's show? Okay, so today we're going to run through some recent activities in the generative space. Uh, we've got a couple of announcements around some legislation, Section 230, but we're going to start with a discussion around Microsoft, Google, Bing, Bard, ChatGPT, and what's happened to those in the last couple of weeks and the implications of of these on people and on business in terms of legislation. Good stuff. So um,
2: let's take a quick look, I guess, at some of these, right? Um, For me, I guess the most interesting ones that stood out was, and I wouldn't put myself in the cynical camp, but um, I was actually quite excited to see some of the inaccuracies around ChatGPT finally being reported and being talked about, particularly if we were to look at one of the first... Commercial implementations of ChatGPT with Bing Chat, I think what we've started to now see is you're almost able to force it to give you inaccurate information. And, and certainly, a given how the models being trained and the data on which it's being trained, you can see that tools like ChatGPT are phenomenal at manipulating languages. And I guess hence the name LLMs, right? Uh, but not so good when it comes to facts, arguably something that we've struggled um, quite a lot on, let's just say in the content space for the last decade plus anyway. So I'd love to have initially a discussion with yourselves on that. What do you guys think about it? And what do we reckon would be the implications of fact and information
1: verification onto LLMs and tools like tat Yeah, I mean, I, the implications are, are huge. Um, I think the progress has been rapid but it's still like you say a leaky bucket um the, these models are uncontrollable in the sense that they're generative right Um the outputs are, are always different uh, even if you give them the same prompt you cannot con- control it i won't even begin to mention the, the underlying data that these models are trained on because that's a whole other podcast episode but just to say nobody knows and i think what's dangerous is nobody asks um, so anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that. So there's dangers uh, because you don't know what it's going to say. What Microsoft has done is tried to put guardrails in place and they've been quite clever in how they take what you've asked it for and put some additional wrappers around that prompt and then feed that into the the, the LLM. Sometimes this works and it's worked you know for for big chunks of use cases but then other times it's not uh, and it's still susceptible to to prompt injection and manipulation and that's where all of those dangerous uh, in some cases um examples have come out about it being hurtful harmful um you know or 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 biased or or even malicious so i think they've actually done a, a, a phenomenal job based on what I know of how, you know, um, uncontrollable these things are and the guardrails are put in place, but there's still a long way to go. Uh, And if Microsoft and Google can't do it, then, um, you know, the the large enterprises that want to use and adopt ChatGPT need to be really, really careful. Um, You know, the API was released a couple of days ago, and some businesses are flat out saying no. Others are saying, yeah, let's go. And they need to be careful.
0: Interesting point you raised there, DBS. So perhaps some listeners might not know how ChatGPT works. And again, that'll be another podcast itself. But fundamentally, the ChatGPT is being trained on a a very large data set, which means that's why it can produce the results it does. Are you saying that there's no one within OpenAI or Microsoft deciding what the the model should be looked at. Then no one is saying, this is definitely true, therefore learn from this versus this is patently false, do not look at that. Or is it open-ended just going over the entire internet and just, just getting whatever it
1: can? So there are some uh, things that have been done. I mean, fundamentally, it's it's huge chunks of the internet. Um, there's the primary source is something called Common Crawl. There's also other data sets uh, like the the web uh, the data set. But um, they do filter that data set. So they will do things like look for offensive words like swear words or derogatory terms and if those terms occur on on a page, they won't include that page in the training for example, right which to me actually is not good enough um it's really simplistic in in how it's applied um, they have done some slightly cleverer things, but really nothing compared to the complexity of the underlying language model right so my perspective is they put too much effort on developing a powerful algorithm and not enough effort thinking about the data that goes into it um because there are dark corners of of the internet um and i don't believe that they're being controlled but having said that um what they're trying to do is is solve it after the fact right so they're saying we need loads of data to train this generative model it has become really great in what it does which is create uh language and and very very kind of uh sometimes unidentifiable uh, as as produced by a machine and then they're trying to then bolt on fixes on the output right a bit like uh, the the image models did last year uh, where they forced diversity in in the the minority groups that were included or even the gender right we saw with with the with the image prompting where they would add in let's ensure there's a diversity of men and women.
2: And and I think on that very point, DBS, I think that that's fundamentally where the point that you were mentioning around things such as guardrails and education on how to use these models fundamentally comes in, right? Because if we were to look at the image generation part, as well as now that the language model ones as well, I think being able to almost make people aware that actually this is good for generating language but not facts almost becomes fundamental right because things like you know article 260 that you referred to at the beginning of the podcast um actually start to have a huge implication on on how these models are used right because fundamentally speaking these are large language models that are able to produce language or text and image in a a semantic way but they're not able to produce facts right um and i think that's where perhaps uh, for me, it was a bit interesting, the fact that the likes of Microsoft didn't actually address it heads on. Uh, whereas if we were to perhaps look at Google's recent AI event with Iran, you know, just the day after chat, uh, Microsoft's Bing event was, um, we saw how they got hammered on some of the inaccurate results BARD was able to put, BARD was producing. But actually they took a much more cautious approach, right? In making sure that things such as content verification and providing the end users with the right information was front and center. So I think for me, it's been quite interesting how both these organizations have tried tackling a similar concept, both in terms of research and AI, but also in terms of the commercial proposition, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I think cautious uh, is is an interesting word there, but um, yeah, I I think what Microsoft have done, especially um, is try and link it to, you know the the search results which is good uh, in the sense that there is some uh, attribution of of where that output comes from but it's it's uh, again bolted on afterwards right so it's looking for a match of what the generative model has produced against search results across the internet. So it's still an inference, it's still a, a, a prediction as opposed to an actual going back to the raw data and saying this is where it came from because you can't do that in, in generative models. But interesting to see how quickly they continue to add guardrails and and improve. And they're doing a great job, to be fair. You know, they're getting a bit of stick for it, but the pace at which they're developing and releasing these things is incredible but we need to support the testing of, of what they're doing and be positive and constructive in, in how we help them to, to continue to, to improve it. So does that
0: mean then that in the labs somewhere, you know, in these big companies, they are working on how to incorporate facts as part of, you know, the, the training of the model so that the next generations will be as good as they are today in terms of producing
1: readable content, but it also it will be almost automatically fact-checked. Absolutely. I mean, the 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 much anticipated GPT-4 release, um, that there are some rumors about them incorporating it. The underlying models uh themselves are really difficult to attribute because you know you're feeding in raw content and then you're you're losing it in, in these very deep networks that can't link back to the input. So they are generative in nature, right? Um, but what they're doing is 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 building additional like chat GPT actually yeah. um it was built on top of gpt3 but it was trained based on an additional set of of um a human in the loop data so these humans were given um a, a prompt that that was provided into gpt3 and several responses and they were they had to select which response was the most appropriate so they were teaching chat 3 sorry they were teaching tpt3 to um to learn what conversational responses were better and that's the additional data that was used to then turn tpt3 into chat tpt so they've been quite clever in how they turn it from what was a really difficult to to use prompt based model into a conversational model and i think they're going to do something similar uh with fact um and i figuring out how we incorporate fact but yeah it's a massive thing at the moment and i'm sure um, that there's lots of alternative ways uh, of trying to solve it. We'll, we'll see which one uh, which one wins, but um, yeah, 100 percent sure that they're focused on
0: it. Nice. Well, looking forward to discussing that in a future episode. So, I think DBS you spotted something else in the news this week regarding Section 230. It might not apply to content created by tools like ChatGPT. Can one of you explain what this means?
1: Yeah, I, and maybe I'll start by talking about media platforms and the reason that they've uh, been able to avoid any liability for uh, malicious or harmful content on their platforms is because of Section 230, right? Uh, They are the platform, but they don't have responsibility for the content that is produced on that platform. Generative models like ChatGPT, however, have been excluded essentially from this section, uh, which means that they are now potentially liable for the use and output that these generative models uh create and i think it's right because they are fundamentally different right uh, in a platform um the users have uh the, the ownership of what they put on there but in in a generative model like chat tbt the, the only thing that informs the output is the model how it's trained and back to those guardrails again the 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 you know that are put in place to protect the, the the users and consumers of that output so i think it's absolutely spot on um and it's it's kind of you know it is in the us um and you know we know that europe and the us uh, approach things differently uh, to begin with um hopefully they will converge around this because i think it's absolutely the right thing to do because it then puts anyone who is planning to use the output of these models into a legal circle where they have to think about the liability that they may have that there's um there's a, a very a popular guy called Gary Marcus who uh, for anyone who doesn't follow his newsletter you should just to see the not the negative side but the constructive side of ai and he's a big questioner of the impact of ai and he uncovers a lot of of dangerous things um he has predicted that this year generative ai will in fact play a part in someone's death um very dark (laughs) um but you know in in a in a chatbot's ability to convince someone to kill themselves for example um or to convince someone to go and uh, fire a gun um he believes that that they are now in a position to to really inflict harm and influence on people so if if we get to that stage then absolutely, we need to have the legal protections in place, so that the users and producers um, of of this uh, are aware of the liabilities that, that that could could be in front of them.
0: And hence the reason. So, if that is the case, if he's right in the, in that prediction, and I hope he's not, you can understand why the tech companies are desperate to stay protected by by Section
2: two hundred and thirty. So, I, I think on on sort of a perhaps on a positive spin on that very thing as well, right? I I actually think regulation in this case for once is actually quite a positive thing. Um, And I don't think actually anyone here is disagreeing with that. But I think what this will probably, sort of my perspective on this is, this will probably also force organizations to make sure that generative models, particularly if we we look at LLMs in this scenario, are being used for the right purposes, right? So, So say, for instance, if you were to go and use Microsoft Word, Google Docs, actually, they already have some generative models being used in the background that can be used for things like creating summaries of what you've written. And I think if we were to look at those very use cases, if you then, for example, give a 10-page, 20-page essay to ChatGPT, or if that's incorporated in any of the tools that you're using, and that's able to give you a summary of the very thing that you've written or the content that you've provided it to, I think that's where you can A, start to see the power of some of these tools being used in a, you know, let's say in a non in a, in a non um, destructive way. For example, the example that you mentioned, the DBS. But I think it, what it also does is that it gives a lot of these models the commercial freedom to start to be introduced in our daily lives in a controlled manner, and arguably, I would say, in scenarios where they are actually able to perform within the boundaries of those guardrails, right? And and I guess where we currently find ourselves with chat gpt and more specifically say bing chat is out at least in my perspective i'd love to hear your views on it is i would say the commercial wrapper in which it finds itself is actually fundamentally incorrect because we all know right we've all spoken to the likes of google assistant and siri asking it to help you help you figure out where can i be hiding a dead body for example but we never blame someone like siri in a money heist right because it gave you a suggestion because we know that fundamentally we're joking with it and I think something like LLMs again needs to be contextualized in fundamentally going back to those guardrails and where we should be using it and I think that's where a lot of the education part on how we encourage people to use these tools in the
1: right way sort of comes
2: into place right at least that would be that would be my view on it
1: yeah I think we're in a very different space now though Deepak like uh we could tell that it wasn't a person given those responses, right? When we asked about the dead body, because it was always the same. And um, I think the dangerous thing now is you, you can't detect when something's been created, um, but by by human or by uh, you know by AI, which is another route that they're taking actually, which is to, to disclose um, or even watermarks, so things you can't see. So there's two approaches. One is you're telling the human that reads it that is generated by ai the other is you're telling ai that reads it that is generated by ai uh, which is not visible to the to the human and that's the watermark approach that they're taking okay so (laughs) we've, we've gone pretty dark there um and then we've gone pretty deep on on legislation and uh and policy so overall i think it's a good sign um that this conversation is happening it's early doors we haven't even spoken about europe and apac maybe we'll come to that in a future session but it is good that these conversations are happening but let's just finish off maybe by thinking about the impact today right now for enterprises and what they can do and how they can start to adopt and, and generate value from from generative value so Deepak. I don't know if you want to give give some perspectives on this, try and be positive, not talk about dead bodies. What do you think, mate?
2: Yeah, definitely. And and I mean, you know, debug actually means light in Hindi as well. So perhaps I could, I could, I could end on a high on that. But um, if we were to look at, I guess from from an enterprise perspective, right? When we look at text, there is just fundamentally so much we share, right? That can be documents, it can be emails, it can be just lines of code that we write. And actually for me, if I was to look at For example, the usage of GitHub Copilot and the impact that's had, uh, right? So for those of you not aware, GitHub Copilot kind of provides you almost like a chat GPT for code. It's got a more tailored uh, GPT-3 model that's used that for helping you generate code and the documentation that goes with it. Personally, I know within Mesh AI, we actually use it quite a lot. And frankly, the the number of hours it saved us in creating pseudocode, the framework for what we want to write and even help us document some of the code. I actually think the power of that is quite phenomenal particularly as we look at organizations trying to move towards citizen coders and democratize creation of applications within their organization. I genuinely think there's quite a big impact um, there in that space and it it sort of reduces the barrier for entry for a lot of people. And also it's just some of the the basic things, right? Uh, The other day I was writing Uh, a 10-page article, and I realized in Microsoft Word there's a feature that helps you create a summary of that document. And again, that uses a a custom chat GBT, uh, a gpt 3 model in the back end, and it was able to do that in seconds, right? And Google Docs actually has something similar. So I actually think, um, you know, if we perhaps tried not to solve world hunger, and if we were to look at some of the enterprise use cases where we're able to make our lives on a day-to-day basis a lot easier where we're not having to spend hours and hours in front of the screen i actually think the impact generative model has over there is actually phenomenal and arguably it's one that doesn't make the headlines on the bbc but when it comes to having impact on our day-to-day lives i actually think over there it's got massive massive potential
0: great stuff thanks dbs thanks deepak mate That's it for today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Data and AI podcast from Mesh AI. For more information, head over to our website, meshai.com. That's mesh-ai.com. And via email, podcasts at meshai.com. That's mesh-ai.com. Thanks a lot.